Welcome to Dollars and Cents. Our podcast is designed to provide listeners with financial advice in a language you can understand. Created and hosted by Mark Friedman, President and CEO at Friedman Financial, he discusses timely topics that help individuals and families make smart financial decisions. Count on lots of energy, candid discussion, and a few laughs. And now, here's your host of Dollars and Cents, Mark Friedman of Friedman Financial. Welcome back to another edition of Dollars and Cents with Friedman Financial. My name is Mark Friedman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Marion Gilman. How are you today, Marion? I'm great. How are you, Mark? You know, every time we do this, you're great. Yeah. That's right. Seriously. First of all, it's summer in New England. It is. And today is actually looks like a magnificent day. I haven't been out since this morning, but it looks gorgeous out there. Actually, so to be very honest, Marion and I taped this show on Wednesday. This is what today is Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. I think you'll be hearing this. Yeah, you'll hear this podcast probably Thursday or Friday. But yeah, the sun is out. In fact, we might even walk. I was going to ask you about this. Maybe we'll walk for lunch today. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, so you know. It's a little breeze, so it's not too hot. It, Perfect day. It, it is nice. So thanks again for joining us for another uh, episode that includes financial advice in a language you can understand. And we thought we'd switch it up a little bit today. Um, over the past couple of weeks, there have been a lot of questions that we've fielded from. We always field questions, but there's been a lot lately from clients asking us a variety of different things. And so we thought perhaps we'd address some of the questions that our clients are asking us today and kind of expand on it and tell you some stories and give you some financial advice in a language that you can understand that applies for your situation. So why don't we jump right into it, Marion? I'm going to read the first question, and then perhaps you can kind of expand on it. So we get this question first from Ken in Ipswich. He says to us, is your money market fund FDIC insured? And can you also help me understand what is the risk between a bank money market fund and the money market fund that you're talking about? Right. So you know, we get this question a lot right now because in the past, over the past probably five or six years up until last year, our money market funds were essentially paying nothing and the bank money market funds were the same. Now, let me just clarify, just in case the compliance department is listening into this, we don't, you and I don't have our own money market fund, right? Yes. So these are, these are mutual fund money market funds. We in particular, um, use from a particular mutual fund company. It makes no difference. They are all managed in a similar fashion. Um, But our money market funds are managed by a mutual fund company. The bank money market mutual funds are managed, um, uh, money market funds are managed by the bank. Correct. Thank you. So the, and the reason people ask us this is because the money market fund we have access to is now currently paying 5.23% interest annually, which is fantastic, right? Right. I mean, and, and daily liquidity too. Absolutely. This so, is not a CD. You're not locking your money up for any long period of time. Exactly. And typically, the bank money market funds don't offer quite the same rate of interest. Sometimes they do, but most often they do not. Um, and and the reason is that the banks do offer FDIC insurance. Um, and FDIC insurance is Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation backs the assets at a bank 
up to a certain level for individual accounts. Um, and so what is that amount? $250,000 per person. If it's a joint account, it would be $500,000. Um, if it's a trust account, a trust is a separate entity, and that would be another $250,000. So, you know, there are a variety of parameters, but they are insured. So if the bank defaults, which we actually saw this year, last year, um, we saw bank defaults, which is very unusual, uh, but we did see that happen. The, you know you're going to get your money because it is insured by the FDIC. So let me be sure I understand this right. So if I have $100,000 or $50,000 in a checking account or a money market account at the bank, and it's under that $250,000 limit, and if it's just me, I know that no matter what, even if the bank goes out of business, my money is protected. That's correct. You have FDIC insurance on that. Now, the stipulation on FDIC insurance, you, if a bank goes out of business, you might not immediately have access to that money. It could be a day. You might. I mean, typically, it's very quick. Um, uh, when Silicon Valley Bank went out of business last year, when they defaulted and they had to close down, the FDIC went right in. They took over. Essentially, people got no change to their money. They had access right away. If your deposit is over that amount, it, typically you're still going to get your money, the probably the full amount, but you might need to wait for that. It might not be immediately accessible. It's guaranteed to the amount. And, and it could be that you don't get the full amount, but it usually is the case that you do because but, you take priority. Now, does that happen with the money market funds that we have that we might hold for our clients? That's not the case with the money market funds that we hold for the clients. And that's because these are issued, um, they are a compilation, it is a mutual fund, and it, it is um, loans to very short-term loans to highly rated corporations. That's what is involved in these money market funds. So there could be hundreds, thousands, millions of corporations represented in this in each money market fund. Um, and they are short-term loans to corporations. Those interest rates reset almost daily. Um, so it changes constantly. And again, these are highly rated corporations, but there is no FDIC insurance. No, is there a price on a money market fund? The price is always $1 per share. And has that ever changed? I mean, that's the question. So if it stays at $1 a share, I mean, in a money market fund, you don't want it going to $1.10 or $1.05. You want it staying at $1 a share. That's correct. And the way they keep it at $1 per share is that interest rate might fluctuate a little bit. Mm -hmm. So if by any chance they thought it was going to go to um, a dollar one per share or a dollar five per share, what would happen is they would adjust the interest rate. They would have a higher rate of interest such that the price stays at a dollar and there's no gain or loss on the fund. The important thing to note is because these are high quality corporations, the highest quality corporations, and these, the, these loans expire very quickly, the bank, if they see anything happening in that corporation, I'm sorry, the, um, 
I got that mixed up. Mm -hmm. The mutual fund company, if they see any, you know, problem in the corporation, they immediately don't lend to them anymore. So the money market funds, they call it breaking the buck if it ever goes under one dollar. And how often share. does that happen? That has happened once in the 50-year history of so money. All mutual funds or just one mutual? Every mutual fund out there, every money market mutual fund out there, there has only been one instance, one instance, not even, you know, um, it, one a year or anything, once out of the hundreds of millions of, you know, trillions mm -hmm. probably dollars in money market funds that it went to 99 cents per share. And I don't believe that lasted very long. I think it was, I think it was less than a day or two. So, so we've certainly geeked out here on really That's overly right. nerding it up here with trying to explain how a, a mutual fund money market fund works. But it sounds to me that if the interest rate with a money market fund is significantly greater than the interest rate that's being offered at a local bank, local bank's money market rate is worth looking at. It's worth the minuscule risk based upon history and history can't be an indication of what the future is going to be. Of course, might be worth exploring that. Absolutely. And, and I think this brings us to a larger question of how do you evaluate the risk of something like that? Mm -hmm. You know, because you, you look at the FDIC insurance and the word insurance conveys with it no risk. But is well, that always the well, case? So let's think about it. Let's talk about the word insurance, Runa, because many people have bought automobile insurance policies yeah. and homeowners insurance policies. Yeah. And when you have a loss, you're in an accident with your car or you or a tree falls on your house and you know you can go to your insurance company, how quickly can you get the money? Well, Does it show up that next day? Fortunately, I haven't had too many instances of this, but in my experience, it does not show up the next day, nor does it show up very quickly, necessarily. I mean, it could be a week, two weeks. And you still have to negotiate what it is that you're going to get. And usually there's a deductible, so you don't get the full amount. They come and they look at it, for instance, with a vehicle. They come and assess the damage of your car, too. Um, and you're right. You can't negotiate this. So it, it seems to me that the, the biggest lesson here, when you think about money market mutual funds versus bank mutual funds, there's this, there's this um, attachment to this word FDIC insurance. And as much as it's a nice thing to have, perhaps the perception of how it works is a bit overblown. That's right. And the perception of the safety of that. Remember, the U.S. government's debt just got downgraded. Does that make a difference? Probably not. But when you're looking at the debt of major corporations, I mean, what's safer? Realistically, it, it's probably equivalent. Right. It's, it, it's up to the investor to perhaps talk to professionals, not make decisions based upon sound bites or what you hear in the locker room at the gym or in the cubby at your office. That's right. You want to make an appropriate decision that meets your needs and aligns with your understanding. And, and also that somebody who provides that explanation in terms that you can understand as well, puts it in, you know, as we say, language you can understand. It's extremely important that you understand the specifics. Of yeah, and so, and so, you know, we talk about this perception that people have and the way that 
certain words can have almost an emotional impact on the way people think about stuff. So it brings me to the second question that we have here, Marion, that came from Amanda, who's in Salem. And she writes us this, why do so many of us fall for scams, which require us to provide personal information? Bias towards truth and what we see and hear. I've heard this is something called confirmation bias. You know, we, we hear from clients all the time that, you know, that for whatever reason, they've received a letter from, and a lot of people received letters from financial institutions lately that said that their information was compromised and they get very freaked out over that. Um, why do we fall for all of this stuff? Yeah. So, you know, um, one of the things that happens in, in our minds um, is that we, we tend to um, think that whoever, whatever we see or hear here is the truth. And, you know, the news organizations play up on this, right? I mean, they, you know, what the news, whatever the headlines are, people look at that and they say, oh, that's the truth because it's in the newspaper or it's on TV. We, so if we get an email that says, oh, you need to change your password for something. Now, this is not an unusual occurrence. I mean, you and I know. Get them all the time. How many times is he, you know, a week do we get stuff that says, oh, you have to change your password here. You have to, because in our, you know, company, they make us check, change our passwords routinely. But it's very easy to get emails that have that same message that says, change your password, which were not really genuine emails. And it's some phishing company that starts with a PH, phishing firm that reaches out to you, that is gathering your information when you choose to give up your password. Because first, the first thing you have to do when you change your password is they say, type in your current password. Right. And then change your password. Right. And why do we all fall for that? So we don't pay attention. We don't pay close attention because we just assume this email is legitimate. Mm -hmm. So how can we tell? I mean, what are some of the things that we can look at? Um, because we get we get actually tested on this, right? We do all the time. And, and LPL is famous for sending us fraudulent emails trying to get us to agree to do something that came from the email. Right. and. If we make that mistake, and it's anybody can do it, right. um, they'll let us know that we fell for a, a trick yeah. Yeah. Uh, that they set up, or we can report it as phishing, and they say, hey, good job, way to notice this. Right. So one of the easiest ways, certainly from an email standpoint, is whenever you get a request to do something and you're responding to it, despite the fact that it might say this is coming, I've been getting a lot from Meta lately, which is yeah, Facebook, Facebook, okay? Yeah. A lot of these emails, you, you need to update your password or somebody has broken into your account and you need to provide this information. I get these emails. Call us immediately. Yeah, call us immediately or respond to this email. Right. Okay. And so you hit the, the first thing that I do is even though it says the word meta, this is who it was from. I click on that word to see what was the email from which it was sent. And oftentimes it will say something like, you know, mark at, um, xyxy123.meta.com. Right. Well, xy.xy, that's the name of the company. The, the word that immediately follows the at symbol, that's the company from where it's coming from. And if it's not the legitimate Amex or Meta or whomever, you know it's a scam. But most people don't know to look at that. Right. And you can't just look at the logo. They can change, they can copy the easily. logo. Easily. I mean, another way that, you know, it's very frequently um, in those type of emails 
the wording is off somewhere. There's a spelling mistake. Exactly. And you have to look very closely to see that. So, you know, it's just a reminder, though. We need to take all of this with a grain of salt. I mean, don't automatically assume that it's coming from the company that it says it's coming from. And, you know, we also here in the office, you know, you talk about people falling for scams. I can't tell you how many times we have received emails from a scammer who was able to access your inbox, who knows that you have an account here. And they then send us an email sounding as if it's from you because they've taken over your email and they say, send me $20,000 because I want to buy X or I need $200,000 to buy a piece of property in some other country. Right. So how do we know, Marion, how do we protect our clients from reacting to those types of emails? Well, so the clients actually, um, we would get the email and it simulates the client. I mean, it is actually being sent from your email address. And sometimes it even has a digital signature that looks like yours. Exactly. So it's very difficult to decipher this. But if you read it closely, number one, there's usually some kind of error in or some kind of wording that we wouldn't, it's not normal English. I mean, we also know our clients very well. So we can almost immediately look at something and say, that's not from them. Was that, did this, was this, this written in crazy. their voice? Exactly. And if there, if there is anything unusual, we immediately call the client. And no matter what, if we think it's a scam, we also call the client and say, hey, look, it looks like your email's been hacked um, because we got this email from you. Right. Well, secondarily, I mean, clients who ask us for money, via an email, generally that requires us to make a trade in their account. And that would constitute to us a trading instruction that they're asking us to do. And we are not able to take trade instructions from clients via an email. We have to talk to the client. So that is how we, as a financial planning firm, uh, you know, support you and we're there for you. When you're working with these technology companies where you actually don't have a person to speak to they may not be able to react the same way. Their algorithms in their system can react differently and thus cause potential harm to your personal identity. And and that's, you know, it's shocking to know that, but that is very true. It, it is. You know, there's plenty of ways to get your um, your identity stolen. It's and And sometimes just because somebody has your email, it's not usually a person. It's usually some computer program that has it has your social security number, has your date of birth. They're not necessarily doing anything malicious with it. They just might have it. But the fact that you've been notified that someone has it can really freak people out. And I think there's an overreaction. You know, you have these programs like LifeLock and all these others that that people are here, to, oh, I got to buy this. I've got to protect myself. That doesn't stop the scammers. Just because you have LifeLock doesn't mean, oh, you will never be scammed again. It means that if you've been scammed, LifeLock might notify you too, but that's about it. Exactly. And the other thing you want to watch out for is, um, and we've had this happen a few times this, over the past couple of weeks as well, you might get notified that, that you could be part of um, a, a data breach. Make sure you pay attention to what you're being notified about. Just because you could be doesn't mean you were. So they might, nobody might have your information. So you just want to be careful of that because 
you don't want to go through all kinds of work and setting up, uh, you know, all kinds of outside monitoring. Or freezing your credit. Freezing your credit, which is, you know, okay, fine, you can freeze your credit, but when you need to unfreeze it, that can be a problem. (laughs) Exactly. And, and, you know, you do need to unfreeze your credit for things other than just getting a credit card. Absolutely. I mean, I think they check your credit when you get a job. nowadays. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get a job, I mean, there are many different reasons. If you want to apply for social security. Oh, if you want to do that online, you've got to do the security test and they're checking your credit. They check information about you. There's all different ways in which people right. are checked. So before you start willy nilly freezing your credit because right. you think you were scammed, do it because it's the responsible and appropriate thing to do because it impacted you directly, not because it was part of some large breach that may have impacted you. Well, we've gone long today. We started answering a couple of questions. But this is the kind of financial advice in a language you can understand that we share with our clients on a daily and regular basis. We didn't talk much about investments at all today, did we? We didn't. And you know what? Investments are just a piece of what we do. It it really is. And for those of you that are working with a financial advisor that's leading you to believe that your investments is what it's all about and that they can pick better investments and better strategies. I I just caution you on that. Make sure that they're truly placing your interests first, that they know where everything is and what everything is worth, that they have the experience, that they have the education, the ethics, and the resources to be able to provide you with the information you need. If now is the time for you to get serious about your financial planning and investment management needs, we hope you'll give us a call. We are here, ready to help you. It's very personalized, very customized. Our phone number, 978-531-8108. That's 978-531-8108, or visit us on the web, of course. That's FriedmanFinancial.com. That's Friedman. Too easy to do. Financial.com. Go to the bottom of any page. You can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Find out about us. Find out about the clients we serve, our fees, our costs, how we operate with people. I think you'll really enjoy it. But that's enough for us today. We will be back again. Actually, next week, surprise. What do we have next week, Marion? We have a surprise guest. Mark's going to be out of town, so... uh... I'll have a surprise guest with us. you got to wait and see that. All right. Listen to us next week. Sounds good. We'll see you next week. Have a great day, everyone. During today's Dollars and Cents episode with Friedman Financial, your hosts may have discussed specific financial planning and investment ideas that are for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations. Please remember that investing involves risk and may include loss of principal. Although the money market fund seeks to preserve the value of your investment at $1 per share, it is possible to lose money by investing in the fund. Always consult a certified financial planner professional, qualified attorney, or tax advisor prior to investing to determine what is appropriate for you. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC.